0: In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers' two most recent wins over the Pacers and the Jazz, which will keep them in first place in the Eastern Conference at the All-Star break. We talk about Embiid's complete dominance of Miles Turner and Rudy Gobert as he pushes towards frontrunner status for the MVP award. We go over Utah's incessant complaining about the referees and whether it was warranted, and about Embiid's critical comments about some of the coverage around him. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, head on over to theathletic.com slash Sixers Beat, where you can get 50% off of a yearly subscription. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome, 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 welcome back to the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich.
1: I'm great, man. It's the All-Star break. We got a week off from games, and we ended on a pretty exciting note, I got to say.
0: Yeah, uh, two pretty exciting notes. So, obviously, the Sixers won in overtime against the Utah Jazz, Rudy Gobert, uh, Donovan Mitchell, and the Utah Jazz, a nice little rivalry forming there. 131-123, to they have now won four of their last five, heading into the All-Star break, and winning those last two games where... Both Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid were uncertain of their status. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets are on a huge winning streak. Half game back, the Sixers needed to win both those games to remain at the top seed in the Eastern Conference at the All-Star break. They did do so, and they did so in pretty thrilling fashion. And, you know, does being first seed in the All-Star break mean anything? No. It means a lot narratively, and there's a lot of narrative stuff that we will talk about on this podcast Love but narratives. It is a nice little pick-me-up for sure. For sure.
1: And they will not be keeping that first seed, in my opinion, for, for very long in the second half. I just think Brooklyn is On a tear. Unbe- unbelievable. And that's without but, yeah, Kevin Durant. What a, uh, what a great win for the Sixers, though. Yeah. You know, to, to get Utah—you know, Utah has been the best team in the NBA this season. I know a lot of people wonder what they will do, you know, sure. in the— second and third round of the NBA playoffs in the Western Conference specifically. I'm not 100% I, bought in.
0: Well, I mean, I'm a, a I am 100% bought in on them being a really good team. Yeah. I'm not 100% bought in on them beating the Lakers in the second round.
1: Yeah. Or, the, or the Clippers, right. yeah. And that's no slight on them. It's kind of- Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's what we've been talking about with, with the, the Sixers. Sixers for a while, yep.
1: right? It's the, the difference between good and great is it it can be pretty slim, but- it's it's a meaningful step that uh, they'll have to take, but you got Utah. Do you know what they shot from three? A hundred percent in the uh, in regulation.
0: It was they, twenty-one for something. Oh, not in regulation. That's including overtime.
1: In in regulation, it was twenty of thirty-seven. Yeah,
0: it felt like a hundred percent. And you know,
1: some of that was some crazy shot making that was at the beginning of the game. I would say like Donovan Mitchell hit a leaner three with the shot clock
0: expiring. Yeah, it was bullshit.
1: Clarkson banked one in some, yeah. And some of them were good looks based off scramble plays, right? You know, where the Sixers played good defense for 21, 22 seconds. And then there was a 50, 50 ball that Utah came up with quick swing and then a wide open three, which they made a ton of. Then in the second half, I didn't think the Sixers played terrific ball screen defense. Um, ben Simmons, I, I, it wasn't just him. I think Seth Curry was probably the biggest culprit yeah. in Utah attacking him. But with Embiid playing back in that drop coverage, you know it puts a lot of pressure on whoever the person guarding the ball is to get around that screen and funnel that player down. And even Ben got caught a couple times. Ingles caught him once. Uh, Mitchell caught him a a couple of times, I thought. Um, And and look, that's a lot to put on the ball handler defender. And Rudy Gobert, as much as I hate screen assists, like he is a tough guy to move around. A lot of screen assists in that game. Um, So so that wasn't just, you know, Utah playing well. Like the Sixers did make a decent amount of mistakes defensively.
0: Do you know how many many screen assists Rudy Gobert had? I, I have that up in front of me, actually. Take a guess. Uh... Nine. Exactly nine. And, and okay. Derek Favors had five. Yep. Nobody on the so, Sixers had more than four.
1: Hmm.
0: Which, I mean, that's what happens when you shoot 21 for 39 or whatever they shot from three. But anyway, go ahead.
1: And beat at 40 and 19. But what about the screen assist? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, But I, I will say, like, it, it's pretty impressive for the Sixers on a game where they weren't shooting well from three. I think at one point they were four of or sorry, they were three of 17 on non-Dwight Howard threes midway through the third quarter. They they just did not have it in terms of shooting. Again, they didn't shoot a ton of threes, but they weren't making the open ones they were getting either. For them to just even be in that game, I thought was fairly impressive. Like, it, like if they had lost this game and we were talking about it today, I I think it would be a pretty upbeat podcast. Like, you know, when you get a Utah team... That has been killing everybody. Clicking on all cylinders to even hang around in that game was pretty impressive. Now it's pretty cool that MV makes a shot at the end and you you have the win, but uh, it it was wild. It was it was a high level game, and obviously there was a lot of fireworks afterwards with with Utah. We can get into that complaining about the officiating, but I I think overall win or lose, it it was a pretty good performance from the Sixers on a night where I, I didn't think as a team they necessarily we're clicking on all cylinders from the start of the game and, and they just found a way to win. And that's kind of the story of this first half of the season. Like yeah. good or bad team that they just, they have enough mental toughness to scrap out these games where they
0: don't have a hundred percent effectiveness. And it was a weird game because Utah never had like a huge lead. Like I think it briefly reached double digits in the second quarter, but it was never like a monster lead, but it was a consistent five to 10 point lead for pretty much the entire first what, three and a half quarters. And then the Sixers, you know, it was one of those games, like I was on the radio and they're like, did you at any point expect this to be a blowout for the Jazz? And I'm like, well, they made every, every shot. Like, yeah, every, every time a three-pointer went in, I was like, well, like eventually they've got to miss or they're going to, they're going to pull away. And these Sixers did enough. Um, And certainly Embiid did a just a magnificent job down the stretch. And that, I mean, really like we're six minutes in this podcast. I, mean, I feel like we haven't focused quite enough on Joel Embiid yet. You know, he ended up, I think, in the fourth quarter, he either scored or assisted on 19 of the final 21 points for the Sixers. Uh, and the way he just took it to him was really impressive. And again, you've got a, a matchup in Gobert. And I think the Jazz were the third-ranked defensive team in the league coming into that. Quite frankly, I expect them to end up being a little bit higher than that. And you've got a matchup from Bead, who's, I mean, it's the preeminent def- uh, interior defender uh, in, in this generation of NBA basketball. And for Embiid to take it the way he did, you know, he started the game off and he had like sort of like a dirt step back, I think for his first bucket or yeah, one of his, one nice. of his first ones, he spent the middle part of the game, drawing fouls like James Harden. And then at the end, he's bully, bulldozing people over like Shaq. And it's like, I know we've probably said that exact same thing before, but it's just so impressive to watch him do it against that team and against that defender. And look, some of those plays where he put Gobert under the basket and like literally knocked Gobert <laughs> over. That's just, wildly impressive for him to be able to do that and have the skill and the touch that he does. It was a truly magnificent performance. And look, there's a lot. Um, those, By the way,
1: those plays were like comic book type stuff. Like, yeah. like you would, you'd be reading the comic and you know, there'd be a, a strip where it would be like kapow with uh, <laughs> yeah. Gobert flying back on that one possession. It was
0: crazy. An old, uh, uh who was who the original Batman in the, the campy live action Adam West. Yes. It was like one of the, like something out of, out of, out of that show. The man. Yeah. I mean, it was, and and look, Joel had some choice words after the game, uh, mostly for, for reporters. And he is clearly playing with a chip on his shoulder. And he came out these last two games uh, and he has just, I mean, look, I think miles Turner is a little bit overrated as a defender. I think he's an elite off ball defensive player. Uh, I think, I mean, Joel said after the game, he's always had success against him. So I don't think it was like that individual marquee matchup that some made it out to be, because I do think Joel can have success against him and has had success against him throughout his career. But I mean, we talk a lot about narratives and MVP is a narrative based award for the Sixers. Like Joel Embiid would have been, I I probably would have praised him for taking a game or two off here at the end because I'm so worried about him being um, ready to go for the playoffs. But if this, if he were to take those games off, six would have lost those games, go in with the second-best record in Eastern Conference, that changes the MVP discussion and the narrative around it substantially. And instead, he came out uh, with two completely dominant performances in pretty different ways. You know, the, the Pacers doubled him pretty much whenever he touched the ball, and I thought he did a real good job of making those reads and swinging the ball. And then to come out and just bully Gobert in a way that I've never seen Gobert bullied And the Sixers win those games. And for him to do that against two defensive player of the year caliber or candidates, it changed. Like he is far and away the front runner in the MVP right now, I think. Uh, He's playing better than LeBron. Team's playing better than Jokic. Jokic Uh, is pretty good. Oh, I mean, Jokic is incredible, but this is a narrative based, team based award. And Joel has a, I mean, he's a second leading scorer on the best team, a second leading scorer in the league on the best team in the Eastern Conference, record wise. Uh, and he's his advanced statistics are probably the second best in the league behind only Jokic. Uh, he, it, I think, he picked up a lot of steam here over these last three days in that race. And more importantly, the Sixers picked up two wins against two quality opponents, and he's just playing it. It's special. What we are watching right now is definitely special.
1: Yeah. So a l- lot of thoughts there. I, I guess first on the MVP stuff. You know, Jokic is he's absurd. I watched his game against Milwaukee a couple of nights ago. The Performances those two guys are giving
0: mm-hmm.
1: on a night in night out basis. These two lumbering centers—I mean, I'm I'm saying that with air quotes. In, in Jokic's case, probably not air quotes. But <laughs> these two, you know, traditional big men in the pace and space, up tempo NBA—they're just killing people right now. And I, I agree with you. I think uh, you know Embiid is playing a, or is telling a little bit better of a story than Jokic, just these big games that he's having. You know, I think back to the performance against Chicago a couple of weeks ago. I think back to how insane he was in that first Miami game when they, you know, they were playing with Isaiah Joe at the end of the uh, yeah. at the end of the game. He's he's had enough monster performances, signature games to be telling a better story. And to be clear, like it's not just narrative. This isn't Russell Westbrook with a, a triple double. Oh, I mean he's you can easily make an argument that he's been better than Jokic. I just think Jokic has been awesome as well and deserves it. LeBron um I'm pretty tired of that. Get, get get out of here right now. He needs to be a lot better in the second half. I think LeBron's the best player in the world. He's going to be the best player when it comes time for the playoffs. Um but right right now it's those two. The uh the one thing I was thinking about with oh yeah, he he is not scared of anybody.
0: there is So we're, nobody... we're going we're to go into that now? No, I mean, I, I just think... Like, he is scared of water slides, though, and that is hysterical if you go look it up. But yes, on the basketball court, I agree. He
1: is at a point where he is so big, so strong, and so skilled that there is nobody in the NBA who can guard him one-on-one. That's not to say a team can't slow him down with double teams and smart team defense, or his mid-range touch just might be off one night. But, you know, with Rudy Gobert being kind of the final boss, and by the way, he did play against Marcus Gasol this season. He right. did play against the Raptors, who have been the team that have slowed him down traditionally. And the Raptors
0: probably did the best job this year of slowing him down.
1: And that's not a one-on-one matchup. they right. They doubled like crazy. So, yeah, he's he's not somebody who can be stopped one-on-one. And, you know, honestly, watching Gobert, it reminded me of how we talk about Ben Simmons with perimeter scores. You know, people say, oh, man, Ben Simmons, he gave up 26 points to this guy on, on decent shooting. And that's just, you know, Ben Simmons is a great perimeter defender, but that's just life in the NBA where, you know, these guys can get hot, and that's that, that's life in being a perimeter defensive player like Shane Battier, back in the day would tell you that Embiid is the one guy who can do that. to centers. Yeah. You know, Gobert is the best regular season defensive player in the league. But the reason he he does that is because he's a rim protector. He thwarts people, not unlike Embiid, he thwarts other drivers around the rim. He, but it's not as much of a one-on-one thing. Nobody tries to go at him one-on-one because he's so big and so long. But I didn't think Rudy Gobert played bad defense last night. He just played against Joel Embiid, and he yep. gave him 40. And that's, hey, that happens. It doesn't happen against anybody else in the league, but it will against Embiid. Yeah.
2: As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABasketball Basketball 21 plus to wager. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana... in Nevada and New York. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TA Basketball and you'll get a one-year subscription to the Athletic plus up to a one thousand dollars first bet offer on your first wager.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, it, 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 he is when he is has his mid-range game going, and when he has that mentality. He is completely unguardable, and the only chance you have is to have a Raptors-like scheme to stop him. There aren't many teams who are as disciplined at doing that as the Raptors are. There's no team that's as disciplined as the Raptors are with that scheme. Uh, Pacers sort of tried a sloppy version of it, and Joel picked it apart. Like, you have to be on point and quick, or he is going to get you. Uh, Raptors are the only team that really has has has, I thought, flummoxed him a little bit this year. No other player, no other scheme has really done that. And even that first Raptors game, I thought he got some decent looks. He just, he missed it. So... The- yeah, Did you notice
1: too that the Jazz tried to double him on, on one possession last night that stood out to me? And he found Simmons right away, corner three.
0: Yeah.
1: He's he's tough to deal with right now. He is.
0: <laughs> and a lot of these passes aren't like, they're not wowing you. You're not, your jaw's not hitting the floor. He's just making them a lot quicker. He's making the right ones. And his six was now have the personnel around him who they will swing the ball and find that open man. Whereas before it was a pump fake jab step, bad shot floater. The ball movement is much better around Joel. And that, that matters. That matters in a big way.
1: Back, back yeah. to him not being scared about people too. I don't want to shame him missing games. Not at all. Moving forward, I'm very. That worried is a about good that. thing.
0: Yes. So I, I, I guess we'll get we'll sort of get into the post game theatrics. This is a quote from Joel. Uh, according to I'll just say reports. I mean, he's talking about Keith Pompey and Howard Eskin. Just get that out.
1: Well, you you could have just said that initially. I,
0: right? I could have. I'm scared of Gobert, and I'm scared of top centers. As we saw tonight, it looks like I was very, very scared of them. So yeah, keep talking. He then goes on to say, um, it plays a huge role on my mentality this year, just wanting to destroy everything in my path, which he has been. So he went out, and he called out Keith Pompey and Howard Eskin at least twice during his speech. And a lot of that came back to when Embiid missed his last game, Which is the last one he's missed, the last of the six, was against the Jazz and Gobert. And that was on February 15th. And that's when Keith sort of asked, like, you know, basically, what are your thoughts on Embiid missing a lot of these top games against or games against top centers? He also missed what? The Pacers game, a Pistons game, a Grizzlies game, a Nuggets game, and a Cleveland game. And the Cleveland game, the Denver
1: game when he sat out. COVID. When the whole team had COVID. Right, contact tracing.
0: So, really, they we're work. talking about five games that he has missed yeah. one against Drummond, one against Miles Turner, one against what, Gobert, and one against Jokic. Which, first of all, I would have some like putting Andre Drummond and Miles Turner in that group feels off in large part because he's had a lot of success against, I mean, he has owned Andre Drummond in the past, like just absolutely owned him. Real um, estate. Yeah. To the point where Andre Drummond's one who's scared of Joel Embiid, and that's quite clear. And he's owned Miles Turner in the past, too. So, including them, like, yeah, are they good centers? Yes, but that's not a, a matchup Joel has ever been scared of. And it, like, he's had success against Jokic, too. It's, Jokic's problem isn't the, the defensive side. It's what he can do offensively. So, it was, it was a bit of a weird take. Um, You know, he did miss the game against the Jazz, but really that's the only one I would point back to. And say he missed a a top flight matchup that he has struggled with in the past. And then he came back out a couple of weeks later and just completely destroyed him. But I guess the reason why I'm gonna bring this up is we were talking about narrative and MVP before. And Keith is, if not the only one in the market, one of the two in the market that has an MVP vote. And these kind of games matter for Joel's MVP chances, and Keith is like literally proof that they matter. And Keith won't be the only one in the NBA has an MVP vote, who will look at the games missed, who will look at the matchups missed and that will influence their vote. So, I understand Joel coming out with a chip on his shoulder and wanting to play in these two games I do worry a little bit. Look, I I have said this in the past I, the most important thing is Joel being fresh for the playoffs That's ahead of MVP vote, that's ahead of the number one seed. He has to be at his peak. I do worry that these, he's obviously attentive to the narrative around him. And I can't tell him not to pursue that MVP award because these kind of seasons that he's having are so unique and so rare and so tough. But I do want, like, if it gets to the point where he needs to take a night off or it's better for the team, not better for Joel, where it's better for the team for him to take a night off, will he do it? I, I hope he does. I hope he does. Um, then I guess we're on the opposite end of the Keith Pompey spectrum. We're like, look, if it's going to help you in the playoffs, take a night off, take a night off. Um, I'm not going to hold that against you, but it, it, it does concern, because I mean, the I think the MVP award is important to him, as it should be, and I think the narrative of him not playing obviously reached him, because he went out of his way to bring it up last night.
1: The the MVP award, if you win that, he could not play another game after this season, and I mean, that, that'll just leave a lasting legacy that few other things really can, besides winning a title. Probably nothing else. I mean, you you are the best basketball player in the world this season. That I mean, think about his journey where he started. Sure. Like he was a terrible basketball player at 16 years old. He had no idea what he was doing. He was doing a doing a 180 as yeah. as, as he put it. I mean, it's it's really an incredible story. But and I to agree be too.
0: fair, I think he has a better chance of winning the MVP award than he has of winning an NBA Finals, just because there's so many good teams. There's so much competition. Yep. For winning it. It, it, it's going to be tougher for the Sixers to win a finals or a championship than it will be for Joel to win an MVP. And I hate the fact that, especially in this super condensed schedule, that pursuing oh. one could hurt the other, the chances for the other. But it, this is a weird year. They do have 36 games in 67 days. And um, it's a tough call. It's a really tough call. Well, the
1: thing was, too, after he missed that game in Utah,
0: do you remember what happened the next game? Uh, well, if I I look here, yeah, he went the, off for thirty-one, then fifty against Houston and Chicago.
1: Yeah, but in the Houston game, he was grabbing his back the entire yeah. game
0: yep. in a pretty concerning fashion. Well, that's, yes. that's the thing; he has like actual legitimate injuries too. This isn't just like load management why he's missing these games. Like these are these are real. I mean, lost in the middle of last night's
1: game, he went to the locker room. Yeah, for yeah, I think fifteen minutes. I mean, he. He did not sit in his normal seat for uh, for his break in the second half. He's dealing with, like, I don't think anything is chronically messed up with him right now. Obviously, his back can tighten up, but as we've seen, that can improve, you know, in a 48-hour span pretty dramatically, because after that Chicago game, or after the Houston game, he goes nuts against Chicago and looks a lot better. He's dealing with ankle issues, you know, he's... I don't know. He's he's dealing with a, a bunch of nicks and and bruises, and it's not stopping him from dominating. But yeah, I do worry because the the games played are going to be held against him. Like let's say Jokic continues to play at this pace, and Joe does too. Jokic is going to have a lot more minutes than him. Yep. In the at the end of the season. A lot more. Jokic plays a ton. And that's gonna be used against him, and it's I don't know. It's tough. It's it's. I don't know what to tell him because it's... I, I would love to see him go get that MVP award. I think he is playing at the level that he needs to, which is amazing. But you do need to rest from time to time. And it, it's clear that part of his success in this first half is because he has taken the occasional night off. And I guess my point is I, I don't want to shame him for that because I think moving forward, that is a good thing not only for him but you know if if we're going to complain about or if we're just going to hold these players and these teams to the standard is winning a championship you're not really doing anything for us if you're if you're not winning a championship then he has to rest
0: right yeah like we want these people to be selfless and we want them to pursue a championship and team success is all that matters but also we're going to again come out and say, you missed the game against Gobert. You missed the game against Andre Drummond, which again, I can't believe we're talking about Andre Drummond. Like it's a marquee matchup that he's scared of, but here we are. We want both. We want team success and team first players. And also, yo buddy, you missed, you missed five games that you could have, you know, sat out for injury. And it, Well, okay. Do you want him to rest the injuries and get better and put the team in the best success or best chance to succeed in the postseason, Or do you want him to pursue the MVP? We're, we're definitely, we, it's a tough, bet, like, my whole point with even bringing up the Pompeii stuff is that there is a perception he has to fight against to win that MVP award, and it is clearly on his mind, and it's clearly motivating him. And he came out and he dominated those matchups, and good for him. But it it is it, it's a balancing act for sure.
1: For sure. I, I think it's more than the media stuff too. It's just the the old guy in my Twitter mentions. Oh, telling sure. me, telling me that he misses too many games, but also complains that, you know, they're, they're not winning a championship. Well, you have to make sacrifices in one way or another here. And
0: every, it, that, that's a me. great point. Cause every time we tweet out an injury report and it's like, Joel Embiid is questionable. I, every time we'll get a, well, this is why he'll never be a champion or this is why he won't be an MVP or this he's soft and overrated and all this stuff. And it's like, I just like, sometimes I just sit there and, Sometimes I'm like, that's got to be like a Boston fan just trying to trash talk another team. Then I click and like, no, this guy's tweeting about Carson Wentz and, and Bryce Harper and he's location is Philadelphia and all this stuff. And it's just do all cities like have people. And I know these are a minority, maybe a vocal minority, but like do all cities like hate their superstars like this. I truly, truly don't get it sometimes. And I guess that's what I'll say about you all right now. Like you are watching a entirely unique, entirely special season. This doesn't come around every game, every year, every decade, this type of player. Appreciate it, man. Like you don't know how long it's going to last. Big men are tough in the NBA. You don't know when you'll get another talent like this again. His career's done. He might end up being a top 3 or 4 sixer in franchise history. Like enjoy it. Enjoy the ride. Don't sweat every every injury report. Don't sweat every game that he misses. Because they're trying to get him to, you know, the what would normally be June, but this year is July, whatever month it is. Don't don't sweat everything. Enjoy it. Like what you just saw these last three days, two games, special man. Enjoy it. I I don't know. I don't know why that's so tough. I truly. I truly don't.
1: Yep, and that concludes our thirtieth segment this season on Joel Embiid Joel's is He's really playing awesome. He's yeah. a very good basketball player. So I guess, what what did you think about uh about all the chirping from Utah after the game?
0: Yeah, I mean look, that that one foul or not foul, that, that one out of bounds late in the fourth. Sixers benefited from uh could it could have change the game if it went a different way? I still can't tell if it hit it's the tough. ref or not. It's, I well, but either way, like I if, if that hit the ref and it impacted the Sixers like that, I would be upset too. Like I would get it it impacts whether or not you can change a call, but it's still a bad break for the Jazz.
1: And look, I, I guess the ref knew whether it hit him or not. Right. Like, th- that isn't even one you, you need to go to the the replay booth for. He can just say, it hit me. But <laughs> I will say, like, people were saying um, that the Jazz broadcast had a good angle of it. I did not see a good angle. of. It. I, I could not tell if O'Neal saved it or not. And yeah, yeah that one, I, I think the Sixers,
0: whether or not it was a bad call or not, the Sixers got a break there. And, it, yeah. For sure. And that's for sure. Look, that's not. But when you start getting into overtime and some of the other late calls, they were at best questionable or at worst the right call. Like I thought there were, I, I didn't think there were too many big, like the hooking that Mitchell was complaining about or the one push off that Mitchell, I think, got his first tech on. Like I thought those were fair calls.
1: And I mean, you can point at a lot of calls throughout an sure. NBA game. You
0: focus on the last five in OT and that's it.
1: So I'll. I'll uh I'll needle Joe after praising him for a while. I mean the the, the foul drawing, the foul seeking behavior of him that he uh, that allows him to shoot what twelve, thirteen free throws a game. Some of that is just his crazy skill. Some of it is that he's pretty smart at uh, at gaming the system. I'll, I'll put that in a nice way. <laughs> he didn't really get those calls against Gobert. I thought what was interesting about like Gobert saying we don't get any respect. I actually watched the game and was like, wow, Rudy's getting some some legit yeah. defensive respect, which, by the way, he deserves. He's an awesome defensive player. It was a. Uh, yeah, It was just a bad look for them, just whining after the game, like small markets the refs don't like, because that's so lame. <laughs> and look,
0: I like I give some leeway to athletes and teams like you have to have a chip on your shoulder about something. To be that great, a lot of times for Joel, maybe that is a reporter who slighted him. For the Jazz, maybe that is a referees and feeling like you're playing playing six on five. I don't have too big a and problem be, with that. And to be fair,
1: after you lose a game, even Alrighty. if it's a regular season game, you are in a different mindset than after you win a game.
0: That being said, Donovan Mitchell being like we 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 won that game in my mind, like dude, no, you didn't. You actually didn't. There's a scoreboard. Oh, and we have an official stat for that. Um, I, the, the I lack-
1: enjoyed when he threw the cooler. By the way, because Donovan Mitchell. Who I, I, I actually nice like I think he's a he's pretty a good guy, pretty yeah. good guy. <laughs> I don't know why I mean he was he was being a little whiny for me last night, yeah, but him tossing the cooler in frustration <laughs> and then being like, sorry, man, <laughs> because he hit the security guard. no
0: he like went over there and checked to make sure he was okay, I thought it was a very <laughs> nice thing to do um <laughs> but the funny. the lack of like uh awareness shown from I mean Donovan Mitchell to doc Rivers being like i that right when he said that doc rivers. Saying I never campaigned for anyone, he had literally just campaigned for Simmons three hours ago in the pregame presser. He had just campa- campaigned for Simmons and Harris for the All Star game, and I mean, 2015 DeAndre Jordan Defensive Player of the Year. Like he was campaigning for that before the season started. So the the lack of awareness for for both Mitchell and Rivers was, I mean, it was it was it was a world class master theater of lack of awareness. It was a it was a good night. It was a good night
1: after Mitchell's second tee. Doc wanted a third one for some reason. He I don't know. Arguing, he know. was furious for some reason. Like he was, <laughs> and look, he complains about everything. Doc complains. So he complains probably more than any other coach in the league about calls. That's not true, but he complains a lot about calls. I don't know. He was adamant that there should be a third technical foul. And I was thinking like, where, where is the other one coming from here? I don't <laughs> even know. Is it for the... For the Gobert skip after, uh, And by the way, that was a foul. He shoved Embiid in the back. Yeah, on that did. one. It was a blatant. It, uh, foul. it
0: was a blatant foul.
1: Yeah. Um, so that was that was one of the stories. And then the other one, which I thought was, I mean, I mean, there there were a, a bunch of things we can get to throughout the game. I thought the bench was was pretty interesting. Good bench game yep. usage of well after More a good bad bench, bench second game.
0: half. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yep. Terrible bench first half. Great bench second half. Which. I really mean, made up when and, and Dwight hitting
0: it, threes in your face, like that's a good bench game. Yeah.
1: Pretty bizarre sequence there where Gobert took like an 18-footer and bricked it and then Dwight I mean, Gobert took it pretty early in the shot clock. It was a ridiculous shot. Dwight actually kind of had to take that one. He didn't have to, but he uh yeah. I don't know. It was it was pretty crazy. Um but the the other story that I thought was it was really interesting. I mean, after Embiid is completely dominant in the fourth quarter of that game. And you mentioned it earlier. He did it in so many different ways. Really good stretch of two-man game with Seth Curry. Hit a three off a Simmons post-up. I thought Ben, pretty good game for him. A little bit quieter just because of what Embiid and, uh, and Harris, who I'm about to get to, did late in the game. I, you know, I thought he made some really nice aggressive moves against O'Neal, who, uh, who had some success against him at the end of that game. He went nuts in, uh, in Utah, but but good Ben game. And you just saw that Doc, despite Embiid going nuts, he saw, okay, well, Gobert is on Joe, O'Neal is on Ben, do we have a good matchup somewhere else? And they found it. It was Tobias against Bogdanovich. And yep, I thought it was, it says something about Joe too, that he was pretty dominant. I don't think it would have been a bad decision to just keep feeding him the ball against Gobert on the block and letting him try to score. But they went on the first play to Tobias on that left block against Bogdanovich. He scores. It was like a really tough Tobiasy physical move where where he got it to go. And they ran four plays for him, and he scored not only against Bogdanovich, but they switched O'Neal onto him at the end too, and he still scored eleven of the uh, Sixers' thirteen points in the overtime, yeah. eleven to his five. Yeah, yeah, eleven to five against the Jazz. I mean, this was a game where Tobias looked like. He was a little rusty. You know, he he looked like a guy who doesn't usually miss games and he was coming off a few day absence, which is fine. But it was I honestly a very fitting capper to his first half as well, where he just very consistent, not not always the prettiest basketball in the world, but just a guy who's reliable for you. And uh, I mean, just a a massive overtime for him.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, he was, he was, like you said, quiet, rusty. Uh, 11 points throughout through regulation. And then he got going in the overtime with mismatch, kept it going even when they switched defenders. And he was, he was a, a monster down the stretch. He really was. And having that guy who can attack a mismatch uh, at times, I think maybe they go mismatch hunting a little too often, but that was an instance where they certainly needed to. And then Ben, you know, he, he, I thought he, he lapsed a little bit defensively there in the couple times, second yeah. half. Um, but in overtime, he was just like, he blanketed Mitchell. And he really made his life tough. And when Mitchell gets thrown out, I think it's as much to do with Ben Simmons and his defense as it was with the the, the calls. I think there was some frustration there on, on Mitchell's part. And Simmons was incredible on that end down the stretch again. He has been pretty much all season long. Certainly has been the Sixers' most consistent defender, which is, I think, probably something we said last year. Like, he brings it every night. Where last year, Embiid didn't. This year, I think Embiid mostly has. I'd still go Embiid as a defensive player of the year front runner over, over Simmons just because I think he more consistently makes an impact most of the position he plays. Yeah, It's easier um, to impact it around the rim. 100%. And that's why I think Embiid and, quite frankly, Gobert are probably still the front runners for defensive player of the year, even though if you're talking perimeter defenders, Simmons probably makes more impact than almost any, probably any other perimeter defender in the league just because of his versatility. And, and in fact, think
1: versatility that you, matters more in the playoffs too.
0: So. For sure, and especially when you start talking about some of the teams the Sixers would have to go through uh, with the, the the Nets. I mean, said it a bunch of times, but he is the Sixers' best defender against all three of their stars. I, uh, unfortunately, we I, only have one Simmons, but
1: I love Rudy and, and Joe defensively. But and, and the good news for Joe is that he can roast people in the post. But
0: a team that can play legitimate five out against both of them—that's that's, sure. that's yep. dicey. Not many. Uh, and, and Defensive Player of the Year is a regular season award. So that's why matchup against all 30 teams matters, and big men have an edge there. But yeah, and I mean, having both, I mean, look, I think the two most important things to a defense are a paint protecting big man and a switchable, multi positional um, defender, permanent defender. And the Sixers have maybe the best, if not the second best, or at least a top two in both of those categories. So yeah, he was incredible, uh, and we are now 35 minutes in, and it felt like we barely had time to touch on both of those two. Uh, but they deserve it; they deserve it in a big way, in a big way. I, I and think it's. I mean, props to Shake Milton, who looks like he's sort of shooting his way back into a flow. Yeah, Unfortunately, he good, now yeah. he gets a week off, but.
1: O, o for four from three, but I thought he was good. I mean, he, he attacked Gobert a couple times and was yep. successful. Just hard to do, you know, and and had a, but, had a
0: good game against the Pacers too, which was good.
1: Yeah, yes. the whole the whole bench had had a couple of of nice nights. I thought, uh, you know, Matisse didn't have his De'Aaron Fox level defense, but what did Jordan Clarkson hung forty on them last time, right? Yep, yes he did. Matisse made him look bad on a couple of possessions in the second half of the game. Cork made a floater for the first time in his career, and it was, <laughs> I mean, it was about the purest floater I've ever seen. I don't <laughs> think the net even moved in yeah. in transition. He. Shook Ingles with a crossover. I mean, I don't think Cork did anything else well the whole night, but I mean, that was that was a cool play. Mike Scott hit a couple threes. I wish he would shoot a little more frequently. Like yep. Mike Scott, let's let's Two fire away. In
0: sixteen minutes, you need more for sure. And
1: by the way, Mike Scott, you're not the only one. You, you know, Tobias. Even though we praise how he looked in overtime, I thought he passed up a couple of yep. decent looks from uh, from three. Honestly, he he passed up a look on the. O'Neal out of bounds play. He he was the one who threw that one away, and O'Neal got a deflection on it. Tobias just shoot the three, man. You're yeah. you're open in transition. That's that is uh that's your shot. And yeah, it was. Uh, you know what I think's pretty interesting. It, it seems like the Sixers are fairly comfortable switching Tobias and Ben. Like if like, if if Tobias's man set a screen for Mitchell, yeah. they're they're accepting that. They're letting Tobias guard the uh, the other top players. We'll see how that goes. I, I to my eye, he's had some strong defensive moments, especially like yep. he's I feel like his hands have been quicker this year. He's he's got a little bit of the Covington disease on that where uh where he's just been able to time up some of these drives pretty well. It was it was also interesting. They they were really trying to get Curry to guard Mitchell late in the game. They were running a double drag screen where it was pretty funny watching like Curry Hedge and Simmons have to slalom through four people to try and stay attached to Mitchell, which he did a very good job of. Um, Yeah, it was, I mean, that was a high level game. Like Utah, I didn't love the drop coverage for a lot of the game. Although I, I did on rewatch, looking back at some of those possessions where Mitchell and Ingles did walk into threes, it looked like they were running Spain stack, pick and roll where, you know, that's, that's the pick and roll where, the The roller has a screen behind him, too, which puts the, the big man defender in a little bit of a bind, especially when it's Gobert. Like, if you get back screened on that play, they'll just throw a lob to him. And and Joe was a little bit worried about that, but the problem was the initial screen, they were not getting around it, and it was a wide-open three. Um, Utah, they're really hard to guard, man. Like, they, they tried to be aggressive at times, too. There was a little bit of overhelp. Utah made them look bad at times on the defensive end, which... You know, I, I don't. I think the Sixers certainly have some things to clean up from that game, but it was a good learning lesson because that team—they're—they're they're embarrassing a lot of teams with their yep. ball movement and their shooting. And it was a, uh, you know, like win, lose, or draw. That would have been a good learn learning experience, but great game to win, obviously.
0: Yeah, I mean that that is a team, or we might have some reservations about whether or not they can beat the Lakers or the Clippers, but they execute at a high level and a very consistent level, and you cannot have an off night against that team. Or they will they will pick you apart. And they did at times last night, Sixers. I mean, it's like you said, the Sixers have the one guy right now. Well, not the one guy, but one of the guys that nobody in the league can match up against. And that that team, uh, the the Jazz are as equipped to match up with Embiid or against Embiid as anyone. And they can't. They just can't. And that really is a story of the first half of the season. Like I said earlier, you're watching something special. You're watching a supreme talent where everything is coming together. And maybe for the first couple of years of his career, that came together a little slower than you would have wanted. But in terms of the conditioning and the skill level and the understanding of the game, it is all progressing at the exact same time. And we are watching something truly unique. Um, And like I said, you have a seven day break now, then they come back and they're right back into it with a very condensed schedule. Enjoy it. Enjoy it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it has to suck for those guys. To go to the all, this stupid All Star Game.
0: Oh, it's a stupid All Star Game. Yeah,
1: I get why they're doing it. They're going to make a lot of money off sure. of it, and you know they do have to help out TNT if they want to keep a decent amount of their uh, of their money. But it doesn't make it any less crappy for. Uh, oh no, for the players. Uh-huh. I I'm a little surprised MB has not been more forceful about the All Star Game. Yeah. It, that screamed something to me that he would be like, this is terrible. I don't want to play in it, blah, blah, blah. And that really was a lot of the other players. That was LeBron. It was Giannis. But he, you know, he was fairly uh, indifferent about it, I would say, which was was a little bit surprising to me. Not to say that he could have skipped it. He would have lost a ton of money. He might have gotten suspended if he skipped it. Like, you're, you're actually not allowed. It's in your contract, I believe. If you get selected, you have to show up. But... uh yeah, so it'll be. Uh, I wonder, does the whole staff have to go, or does Doc just have to go too? I think the staff goes with them, doesn't they? Oh, that's I, tough.
0: I, oh. I thought so. I don't know. Ugh, I, uh, gotta, we don't have to worry about. When was the last time the Sixers coach was it? Was it LB? Was it Larry Brown? I, I think so. Wasn't
1: that the, the Iverson? Where's my coach?
0: Yeah. Uh, speech. Yeah. It's probably the last one. Yep. So well, the last one I remember, well, I can't can't imagine whenever they had a one seed this late in the season before that. Eddie Jordan didn't coach the, the All Star <laughs> No. Oh, Eddie Jordan. Let's let's wrap things up on that. On Eddie Jordan. You, well, wonderful. Look, Look, we've
1: sat through Eddie Jordan. We've sat through some bad mediocre basketball. Enjoy this.
0: I was thinking about that, that. It feels like just yesterday I was trying to convince myself that Evan Turner and Spencer Hawes could win a playoff series. And now you get to watch this on a night in, night out basis. Just enjoy it. It's a good point. End on that. Enjoy what you are seeing because it is borderline historic. And with that, I will let you go. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on. And we will talk to you soon. Harmony and effort.